What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, August 6th, 2015. Like every Thursday, today's show presented by Violent Gentlemen. Make sure you go to violentgentlemen.com right now to order some of the hottest t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene. From the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field, the Violent Gentlemen honors the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport, Violent Gentlemen. Dot com. Today's Violent Gentleman segment is with Jeff Howe, Patriots insider for the Boston Herald. Uh, he joined me over the phone this morning. What the fuck do you think we talked about? We talked about Deflategate. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And it's almost to the point where I almost feel bad getting a football guy on because as much as I hate talking about Deflategate, I'm sure the people that actually have to cover the team as a reporter like Jeff Howe does on an everyday, every minute basis, they absolutely despise this story too. So I almost feel bad getting some of these guys on to talk about this because I know they don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but we all have to talk about it. And yesterday I told you on this show that Roger Goodell needed to lose his job. It's not the first time you've heard me say that, and I'm not the first person you've heard say it. Uh, we've been saying it for a long time. I mean, I think when I read the Wells report, I mean, you can forget about the flakegate. We were all saying it after the whole Ray Rice situation last year. So this is something, this isn't a new opinion. This isn't a new idea or I'm not really going outside the box. I, I think a lot of people feel this way that Roger Goodell should lose his job. If you're looking for more reasons as to why Roger Goodell should lose his job, I, I gave it to you yesterday. And then I wrote in a column for the Boston Metro. I write a column every Thursday. You can also get it online. Uh, they revealed it the night before. They, they put it out on the Internet last night. It's in today's newspaper. So I tweeted it out and Facebooked it last night. And if you read it, I went a little bit more in-depth because uh, I, I was able to read more of the Tom Brady emails. And it, Because yesterday I jumped on this podcast, and really five minutes before we fired it up, Yesterday morning, uh, the, the emails came out. I read them on Deadspin, the Tom Brady emails. So I was able to read just a couple of them. I was not able to read uh, all of them at the time. But I did tell you, the fact that we were reading personal emails, private emails from Tom Brady was to me on, you know, the mere principle alone We've gone too far. We've taken this story. We've let this story go too far. And the guy that let this story go too far is the commissioner of the National Football League. And because we've taken it to this point, it gets to the point where even releasing Tom Brady's personal private emails that aren't even deflategate related, the fact that that's even an, that was even an option here... The fact that we've gone that far, it means the commissioner needs to lose his job. That's it. Roger Goodell needs to go. Fired. Whatever the process is to make that happen, they need to make it happen. And I know, and, and, and I talked about this with Jeff Howell of the Boston Herald this morning over the phone, and I'll play that segment for you uh, in, in that conversation in just a few minutes. But we, we talked about the owners versus the players, right? The NFLPA versus the National Football League. It's a real thing. It's a real battle. But I honestly, in this situation, and I know there's a couple owners that are in Goodell's ear. You know, we heard uh, Bishotti from the Ravens. We heard Ursay from the Colts. They're in Goodell's ear. They say, hey, Roger, 
You cannot come down off this four-game suspension. You need to stand your ground. Uh, this team, this guy, they did this against our teams in the playoffs. And you need to make a statement, protect the shield and protect the integrity and the, uh, of the game. Protect the integrity of the game. That's the phrase we keep using, protect the shield, right? But I think that if when you sit there and you take in all of these emails from Tom Brady, you read about the dinner reservations that he has with the, ooh, the Vancouver Canucks, um, in which the email, he says, let's keep this meeting confidential. Let's keep this private. Of course, you know why? Because it's a private confidential email that, should, that we should never be reading. You talk about Brady and, and he wants a different color on the pool cover. You talk about him talking to one of his buddies about Mark Brunel, right? Says he's a Patriot hater. You see some things between Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady. Um, you see some conversations in which, you know, once again, we should not be sitting here reading about how Tom Brady feels about Peyton Manning. I mean, on ESPN.com today, the top headline is Brady predicts Peyton's end will stamp the rivalry. And if you don't know what that means, well, you can read the actual email, right? Uh, Tom Brady to Kevin Brady. Brady says, thanks, Papa. I've got another seven or eight years. He has two. That's the final chapter. Game on. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess Brady calling out Manning kind of and predicting the end of the rivalry and saying, hey, I got seven, eight years left. And, of course, we'll turn that into a storyline. Does Brady have seven or eight years left? Right? Well, this is what we're going to do. The email between Kraft and Brady. I mean, bottom line is this. We should not ever be seeing these emails. We shouldn't. As entertaining as they might be, as interesting as they might be to try to get into the life, because, you know, we'd love to all be hanging out with Tom Brady or know away from Gillette Stadium what this guy is like, the type of conversations he has. You know why? Because he's a celebrity. He's a superstar. He's on top of the world. As I mentioned in the Metro, he is the reigning and defending three-time Super Bowl MVP Defending four-time reigning four-time Super Bowl champion of the world. I mean, Tom. This is Tom Brady. This isn't. This isn't any second-string, third-string practice squad quarterback or offensive lineman. This is Tom fucking Brady. We're talking about here, people. He's a celebrity. We'd love to get into these emails, right? It's entertaining. We want to know what he's like. The fact that we actually can is disturbing. It's an invasion of privacy. And I don't care what you say about, oh, it was, whether it was the NFLPA wanted to release this stuff or it was judge ordered. I don't, put it this way, I don't care. I don't care. The fact that we got to the point where releasing Brady's emails was even an option to try to either prove he was not guilty or prove he was guilty, we should not be to that point where that's even an option. Shouldn't even be an option. We, this thing started out with the air pressure in a football. We're not talking about that anymore, right? We're talking about who's lying, who's telling the truth, whose testimony was this, whose testimony was that. What did Brady's emails say? Those emails have nothing to do with the Flakegate, and maybe that's why the NFLPA wanted them out, because they want you to see that, look, Brady doesn't sit there all day every day and talk about the PSI levels in a fucking football. He doesn't. But the normal people with common sense, I'd like to think that I have some, 
realize that before we have to read the emails. I don't need these emails to know that Tom Brady is not obsessed with the actual PSI in a football. Okay? Of course, he wants his footballs a certain way. But he's not some psychopathic freak. He's an NFL quarterback. It's a league in which the quarterbacks have the football all season and like them a certain way. It's not a competitive edge. It's a personal preference. Go look at the definition of competitive advantage or personal preference. It's different. I've said this all the time. A competitive advantage, competitive edge, would be if Tom Brady got to control his own footballs and the other team shows up on Sunday and they use footballs that the league takes care of all week for them. The other team doesn't get to control their own footballs and Tom Brady does. That would be a competitive advantage. No, the other team does shit to their footballs too. This is... This is so stupid. I've been, I don't even want to go. I'm not going to go into theories of the AFC championship game. I'm past that. I'm past that. All right. We, we're not even talking about that anymore. We're talking about Brady's emails. Something that should have never even been an option. We should not be reading this stuff, folks. We shouldn't. And if I'm an owner in the league, I don't care that there's this battle between the owners versus the players. I, I don't care. There have to be owners that are sitting there going, to themselves, private, to a man, to their family, to their friends, to people in the organization going, reading the Tom Brady emails that have nothing to do with the flag game. They must be sitting there saying to themselves, why are we reading these again? Honestly, why are we reading these again? And if we get to this type of point where Tom Brady's emails can get out there, anybody's emails can get out there in any type of situation now with the NFL. If you get to this point with Tom Brady, you can get to this point with anybody in any situation, okay? Because this is such a stupid situation, stupid saga, the air pressure in football. Again, it had no impact on the games that the Patriots won, by the way, which should also continue to be pointed out, right? Um, I think they're ha- – I'm telling you right now, owners need to be – and if they're not, they need to be saying – I don't want anyone ever reading my emails if there's some type of scandal in our organization and someone in the le- someone thinks that we're lying and it gets to a point where someone wants to protect the integrity of the league. So in order to do so, they think that six months down the road, they, they're going to release my emails, so that's going to be an option. I don't want that happening. Nobody should want this happening. You think that Jim Ursay wants people reading about his private dinner reservations? And all in order to protect the t- integrity of the league? You know what he would say to that? He'd say, fuck the integrity of the league. You're not reading my personal emails. I don't ever want to get to that point. All right? The, the, nobody wants that. So what needs to happen now is people need to step up. People need to grow some balls. And they need to step up. I don't care about this battle between the NFLPA or the owners versus the players. I don't Did some? You need someone else other than Robert Kraft, okay? Robert Kraft, because he made the statement the day training camp began, and he crushed Goodell. You know, I loved it. It was it was an awesome battle cry, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you still accepted your punishments, and, you know, the, the deal that you thought you had, you didn't. So, what are you going to do? Kraft, with those statements, he needs some other owners to come out and say, this has gone too far. This is th- We cannot be living in a football world in which the integrity of the game, okay, is protected by releasing personal private emails of our star top quarterback, the face, the guy who should be the face of the NFL, his personal stuff, conversations, should not be thrown out there in the public under any means. It should not. 
not even to protect the integrity of the league. But, but let's be honest, as I said in, the, in my column for the Boston Metro, what does the releasing of Tom Brady's emails do to protect the integrity of the league? Nothing. So there isn't an owner in the league that would sit there and tell you they would want their emails or personal conversations that aren't related to any sort of, um, you know, controversy, scandal, what have you. They would not want those released, even if the commissioner told them it was to protect the integrity of the league. They'd say, you know what? You want to read my emails? Fuck the integrity of the league. I, that's here's I'm gonna the integrity of my myself, my personal, my privacy here. Okay, the the fact that we are at to this point. It's time for people to step up and say, the commissioner let this thing go way too far. And because we are to the point where we are reading as entertaining as they might be, as interested as you might be in them, in Tom Brady's emails, we should. can you agree we should not be reading them, right? Some people need to step up and say, enough is enough. This guy's going to go. And, and the more, you know, on, the, on a day in which Tom, we're reading Tom Brady's emails that have nothing to do with the flake, private conversations. On a day in which we're reading this stuff, I don't need to hear from fucking Jim Kelly or any other former quarterback start telling me how Tom Brady knows what he did and he needs to man up. No, 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 no. Other way around, big dog. You need to man up. The former quarterbacks and the former players in the league need to man up. Do me a favor. If you're a Jim Kelly, you're a Troy Aikman, or you're one of these guys that uh, obviously, obviously is speaking with a bias, take your old uniform and hang it up for me for a few minutes. Just for a few minutes. And I want you to take this whole storyline in as a football fan and as someone who has played in the league, just as a professional athlete, as a celebrity. I want you to take this all in. And, And tell me this. Would you want anybody reading your emails? personal emails. I don't care how bad the scandal was. Would you want people reading? Would you want all your emails being released that have nothing to do with the scandal that you may be in or have been in? No, of course you wouldn't. So this has gone too far. Enough about saying that Brady's the one that has taken this too far. The commissioner has taken this too far, right? Brady was guilty, but for some, some crazy reason, Tom Brady has had to prove himself that prove innocence. It's it's the I don't know if people understand how it works, okay? It's innocent until proven guilty. That's how it works. But for for some reason, crazy reason, people have seemed to forget about that. Uh and in that forgetfulness, we now have Come to the point where Tom Brady's personal conversations are being released to the public. And then again, this is why he got rid of the fucking phone, you morons. that say, well, destroyed the phone. He used the word first. Of course he destroyed the phone. He has more conversations on the phone that are not, that are not to Flakegate related. In fact, 99.9% of the conversations on his phone that he destroyed are most likely... I'll say it, more probable than not, to be non-deflategate related. Shit that he doesn't want you to see. Text messages with, with TB12 Sports Therapy Center clients, dinner reservations with who knows? Who knows what there is? Other GMs? I don't know. Just who knows what's going on there? 
personal pictures and videos that are just part of his personal life that have nothing to do with football. He doesn't want you seeing them. Here's the here's a funny part of this whole thing. You shouldn't. We shouldn't be seeing them. I, I mean, <laughs> right? We should never. This story should never have come so far as to be talking about Tom Brady and his stuff on his phone or his computer or his email. What are we doing? What are we doing? And I know it's entertaining to read the emails yesterday, right? Go grab a beer. Put a couple hot dogs on the grill. Let's read some Tom Brady emails. I get it. Entertainment. The internet. We love it. We can't get enough of it. I read them. I was interested. But guess what? We shouldn't be reading them. And the fact that we are reading them, whoever released them or wanted to release them, the fact that we got to the point where releasing them was even an option tells me we've taken this thing way too far to the point where the guy that's in charge of the league should have stepped in a long time ago and said, wait, 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 fuck this. We're putting an end to this story. This is so stupid. Let's get to football, okay? In fact, we play the game with the football. And to be quite honest with you, as commissioner of the league, I look at footballs and say either it has enough air in it or it doesn't. Okay, we got this rule in the rule book. We know from the Wells report that the officials don't give a shit or at least don't know about that rule. So if they can't get it right, the players can't be punished. Let's move on. Let's find a way to move on here. All right? Yes, we want to punish the Patriots because we know you guys do some shit and have done some shit in the past or at least we think you did. And whether whether we are right or whether we are wrong as a league, you're right. We don't like the Patriots. We're going to admit that. We got this something against you guys. But, you know, we all th- th- this story is not good for our league. You know, that's what the commissioner should have said. And the fact that he didn't went to the point now reading Brady's emails and, and, and all his personal conversations, private conversations. Goodell's got to go. It's it. He's fired. And people need to step up. I think owners need to step up because they don't want their emails released. Do they? I think that. Other players, and not just current players, former players need to step up and say, wait a minute, people, air pressure in a football. Now we got to read Brady's dinner reservations? This shouldn't be happening. That's an invasion of privacy. we got to figure this thing out. This is not, air pressure in a football had no impact on the game, people. I know we've, Mark Brunel goes to bed with two footballs at a perfect PSI level of 13 tucked under his arm at night, but guess what? He played with a perfect PSI football, and he played, and he couldn't win a damn fucking thing. So, I mean, I, you know, this the, the we've t- we're talking about something that that doesn't that doesn't even or didn't even have an impact on the Patriots championship. We and in the in the process, not only have you tarnished it as a league, but you've now gone way too far by helping release personal information of the superstar quarterback and face of the National Football League. Here's the deal. You want you want integrity of the game? You want to keep the integrity of the game? How about how about protecting your superstar players? Huh? How about that? And if you're an owner, I don't think that's crazy. You you would want to protect your own superstar player, wouldn't you? I, again, I know we have this battle, owners, players, I get that, I understand, but at some point, somebody needs to step up and say, we've taken the battle too far over something that's so stupid, stupid, this is the dumbest storyline in the history of sports, it is, and the fact that we're still talking about it is embarrassing, more so for the league than anybody else. 
So how are we going to fix this? To me, the way you fix it is you fire the commissioner, but you need some people on his side to step up and have some fucking balls. They do. And I need former players, too. Step up. Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman, stop bitching about Tom Brady. Understand that if you were a player in the league still and something happened, okay, whether you messed up a little bit or not, whether you didn't do anything, I don't know, guilty, not guilty, you'd never want any sort of situation like this to get to the point where all of a sudden everybody in the world is online reading all your personal stuff. It should, please, I mean, stop. Put the Bills uniform away. Put the Cowboys uniform away for a fucking minute. Would you? You sound like idiots. Idiots, morons. I mean, just absolute clowns. Stop for a second. Think about what you're saying. Think about what's happening. Think about what we're doing. Okay? Sit down. Chill out. You don't like the Patriots. I get it. This has gone beyond football. And it should have never gone beyond football. It started with the football. A football that we don't even know if anything fucking happened to it. Okay? And now we're to this point. Goodell's got to go. Goodell needs to go. The guy is a clown. And when I read the transcripts of the appeal hearing, I wonder what his IQ level is. And the fact that I'm even questioning a $40 million man per year and his IQ level tells you all you need to know. Tom Brady, have you ever walked the stadium on a Saturday? Yes, I have, Commissioner. You have? Yes, I have. Yes? Uh, yeah, yes, I have. Really? I, I mean, that's, that's what happened in the appeal hearing. That's just a little transcript for you. Roger Goodell doesn't seem too bright, does he? He doesn't come off as the smartest guy in the room. You know why? Because he's not. I want the commissioner of my league being one of the smartest guys in the room. Is that too much to ask? It isn't from a player's aspect, and it certainly wouldn't be from an owner's aspect. So somebody needs, people, the people who have the power need to step up and make something happen. We've gone too far. End this. And don't just end it with a settlement or something and get back on the field. End it by, by getting rid of this clown that is Roger Goodell. He's ruining, he's ruining things right now, and he's talking about integrity and protecting the shield. I'm sorry. You can't use the phrase protect the shield and protect the integrity of the game all while your, stu- your superstar quarterback, your reigning, defending, three-time Super Bowl MVP, four-time Super Bowl champion is having his personal private emails released to the public that have nothing to do with the storyline that we're currently still talking about. This needs to end. And the way it ends is when somebody steps up, has some balls, and, and starts the movement to get rid of this ass clown, Roger Goodell. Jeff Howell, the Boston Herald, joined me this morning. And uh, I hope he doesn't mind my, my passionate take on this. Um, but we talked about it. And uh, I'll play the conversation for you right now. Stick around afterwards. Because I have a thought on this. Red, I was watching the Red Sox-Yankees last night. And uh, I know the Red Sox won. They beat the Yankees 2-1. David Ortiz, nice little solo home run. Lead up the top of the fourth. But the kid on the other mound. 
Luis Severino. Yankees didn't want to give him up. And you know what? I, I kind of crushed him. I kind of crushed the Yankees. I said, I, I thought, you know, you had some pitch, pitching issues. Pineda's on the DL. Uh, Tanaka has some injury history. Nova, obviously, making his return this year from Tommy John. I mean, you got some, you got some injury stuff. You're in first place. You see a Blue Jays team in your division that, that just got uh, Price and Tulowitzki. You saw other teams. The Royals in the American League had Cueto. The Texas Rangers had Cole Hamels. I thought the, I thought the Yankees dropped the ball by not going out and making a move and adding a pitcher. I got to apologize to them. I do. Because I watched Severino pitch, and I know last night that the Yankees lost, and Severino let up two runs, including that home run uh, to David Ortiz in the fourth inning. But the kid's nasty. And uh, I tell you what, we're going to be seeing a lot of this 21-year-old. He's 21 now. He turns 22, I believe, in the winter. Uh, he is he's going to be good. And I, if, I'm, if I'm a Yankee fan, which I'm not, I would love – I loved what I saw last night. As a as a as an actual Red Sox fan, I hate what I saw last night. Even with the Red Sox winning, I'll tell you why. I'll talk more about that and uh, a story on Patrick Kane that I'll get to to close out the show. In the meantime, here's my conversation with Jeff Howell of the Boston Herald. He joined me this morning as part of the Violent Gentleman segment. Today's show presented by Violent Gentleman. Go to violentgentleman.com right now to order some of the hottest T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene. From the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field, Violent Gentleman honors the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport. ViolentGentleman.com. Enjoy the conversation. Stick around afterwards, and I'll close it out. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Jeff Howe from the Boston Herald. He covers the New England Patriots. Uh, Jeff, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing well, Danny. How are you? I'm doing good. Yesterday, though... You know, we, we had a little bit of a different type of entertainment value with Deflategate that I didn't actually expect we would have. You know, you kick your feet up, you get to read Tom Brady's private, personal emails that don't have anything to do with Deflategate. My, my first question to you is, how are we at the point where we're reading Tom Brady's personal emails? Like, why are we here right now? Well, because... And I get what you're saying. That's because the the judge ordered all of these documents to be unsealed that were presented as some sort of exhibit or evidence or what have you during the appeal hearing. And those are presented there for who knows what reason. But I think building off of that, you mentioned, I mean, we're reading about Tom Brady wanting a white pool cover and mm-hmm. getting angry about what he got a gray one or something like that. I mean, I hope he doesn't judge me for having a green one. But <laughs> anyway, I, this is, I think, links back to the Richie Incognito investigation when he had to make his records available and then was basically ridiculed. And, hey, this is karma. I'm not saying it's bad to ridicule Incognito, but when he turned over his records, there was a lot of similar stuff that had nothing to do with the investigation that got leaked. And, again, it sort of just embarrassed him in a public light. And I think if you see some of the stuff that was released this week and looking at the Incognito stuff and then kind of going back to Feb- late February, early March, when Brady's attorneys advised him not to turn over his cell phone, mm-hmm. I'm starting to see why. Yeah, and I was just going to say that to you, because you re- I'm reading his emails yesterday, and I'm, go- I'm saying to myself, well, look, th- this is exactly why Tom Brady did, you know, did not want to give anybody his cell phone, because if you, if you think this stuff is personal and this stuff is private, talking about emails, 
I mean, who knows what's on the guy's phone? And and when people looked at Brady and say, well, he used the word destroy first as we looked at the transcripts. Okay, that's fine. But but just because maybe he destroyed his phone doesn't automatically mean that that he was trying to hide Deflategate stuff. It's Tom Brady. This guy's a celebrity. He has stuff on his phone, personal, private stuff that he doesn't want anybody to see. And if he thinks that this is such a situation in which at some point that phone might have to be turned over, I'd destroy the thing too. Not just be- not because of Deflategate stuff, Jeff, but because of just personal information, photos, videos, text messages, phone numbers from other celebrities. I don't want that stuff getting out, and it seems like some people just can't wrap their brains around the fact that he's Tom Brady, he's a celebrity, and he might be trying to keep some other stuff away from the public, not just the Flategate stuff. Oh, absolutely. I can't blame him for that in any way at all. I mean, there are, if I ever lost my phone, and my phone is one millionth as important as I'm sure Tom Brady's phone is, but if I ever lost my phone, there are people whose contact info I have in there that I would lose some of their trust because some of that info becomes valuable. And, I mean, you get Tom Brady, who his cell phone is probably loaded with A-list celebrities, and who knows what's on there. So, hey, you know what? I can't fault him for that at all. I never have. I can't say I ever will. Mm-hmm. And it's he's being painted in a guilty sort of light or an incriminating light that he's hiding something because he wouldn't turn it over. And, hey, I, I can see that side of it, too, but when you present all of the information, Ted Wells saying that he's not going to be held accountable or disciplined for not turning over his cell phone, what point, why would he do it? What incentive does he have to do it? And then they kind of flip the script on him at the end of it, and they say, oh, well, you know, you didn't turn over your cell phone, now you have no credibility, and Roger Goodell says, well, if you have no credibility, then I can't believe you, and if I can't believe you, then I'm going to suspend you for four games. So... What is it? What 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 rules is Tom Brady playing by? And again, I think you you look at other stuff too with the conversations that Brady had with Jastrzemski, both on the phone and in person, in the days after the AFC Championship game. Roger Goodell is assuming that these were nefarious and that it was part of some grand scheme to cover up the whole operation just because Brady didn't talk to Jastrzemski on the phone for the six months prior to that. I mean, how much does he really need to talk to the guy on the phone? when he sees him at the facility for upwards of, what, 16 hours a day, five to six days a week. So there is a lot of – you can look at it from both sides, and I can see why some people would believe that Tom Brady is guilty. But I think there's a lot of presumptive information here, and people are being very selective over mm-hmm. the bits of evidence or the bits of circumstantial anecdotes that they're using to draw these conclusions. Yeah, this whole thing has been a big assumption, and and we've reached a point where, again, yesterday we got to read Tom Brady's personal emails, and uh, Jeff, I I don't care if the NFLPA wanted this stuff released, I don't care if the judge ordered it, the fact that we're to the point where that's even an option, releasing Brady's private personal emails that have nothing to do with the Flategate, the fact that we're to the point where that's even an option tells me we've gone too far. Now, I've said three months ago that we've gone too far. Having to read a 243-page report, Wells report, I told you and I told everybody else we've gone too far. But this, this is it to me. This is the point where I say Goodell has to go. Like, like he let this thing go on for way too long to the point where that was even an option that we get to read Brady's emails. Do you agree that Goodell has to go, or, 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 or how do you feel about Goodell right now, seeing how all this has played out? 
I lost a lot of trust in Goodell's ability to lead the league during the Ray Rice saga, and I I thought that there was an, a very easy case to make that Goodell could be fired after that. This has been taken to a strange new level. I'm not even trying to compare the two cases. It's just his ineptitude. And I think if you're looking for hard evidence, all you got to do is look at the, again, bring up the conversations with Stremsky and Brady's testimony at the appeal hearing, which is under oath, when Brady told him a handful of times what those conversations related to. It was, okay, Stremsky's kind of wigging out a little bit. I'm trying to calm him down. We're talking about the allegations that have been thrown out here. Dan Wetzel did a phenomenal job, as you know he always does, kind of capturing that sentiment and and the story that led up to that. And I mean, it's just and Goodell basically looks at all of this information, hears all of the information, and then takes five weeks to make a ruling, and still just completely lies about the fact that Brady and tries to say that Brady didn't mention anything about his conversations with Stramski other than the run-up to the Super Bowl, which, again, was a bold-faced lie. And he's doing that in order to try to win an argument or to win his appeal his appeal decision. And this isn't – it never should have been about one side trying to beat another. Well, it shouldn't be for Goodell's side anyway. It should be about trying to draw the – the correct conclusion and then basing your opinion off of that. Whereas Goodell has really been just trying to win an argument. And it's, it's like two teenagers going back and forth. I mean, logic went out the window months ago. Uh, and this is, it's ridiculous that a guy who was in charge of a $10 billion a year industry makes more than $40 million a year and is one of the most recognizable faces in American sports can allow something to get to this level on his watch, and a lot of it is his own doing. Speaking with Jeff Howe, covers the Patriots for the Boston Herald. He joins me over the phone this morning on the Danny Picard Show. And, Jeff, look, I, I, I literally can't get over the fact that I was able to read Tom Brady emails and one you pointed out, the color of his pool cover. I, I just can't get over the fact that it's the mere principle of this whole thing. And, and I know we go into, okay, it's the owners versus the players or the league versus the players and a lot of this stuff. But even if I'm an NFL owner and I have to see where this has gone, like, like take, you know, Jim Ursay, for example. We've heard reports that Ursay was the Colts owner. He was in Goodell's ear. You know, stick to your punishment. Stick to that four-game suspension. Do you think Jim Ursay would want anybody – any scandal, we don't want anybody reading his personal emails or d- private dinner reservations. No, not even if, if it meant protecting the integrity of the league, Jeff. So even if I'm an owner and I see where this got to, I think I need to say, wait a minute. Okay, we've reached the point where this has gone from air pressure in a football to reading about guys having conversations with their, with their uh, wife or personal, you know, people in their personal life. We can't have this going on. So I think you need... Everybody in the league to get together and say, how can we make sure something like this doesn't happen again? Is it possible that maybe some owners around the league step up and, and, and maybe look at this and say, we've gone too far, or are, we not gonna, are they not going to go there with this? Well, that's a good question. I think probably they probably won't mm-hmm. uh, for two reasons. Number one, it seems like everybody is in the you know cover your ass mode at this point. So they're all trying to help the league 
salvage a morsel of its image, the yeah. image that Roger Goodell is doing his best to destroy, at least in terms of its credibility and how it handles disciplinary measures. And then number two, Robert Kraft has done a lot. He's trumpeted Roger Goodell's decisions on appeal here or disciplinary decisions in the past. And why would you, if you are, you know, Jerry Jones or Steve Bashotti or just go on down the line of guys who have had major, major appeal, Benson down at the Saints, guys who have basically, you know, Kraft has spoken out and said and defended Goodell's actions in the past. And now the tide has turned. So why would these guys start rushing to Kraft's defense? And, hey, you know what? For the long-term benefit of the league, yeah, they should. They I think should, they should. Yeah. I think this thing has gone – obviously this thing has gone on way long – way, way, way too long. We agree 100% together on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can see two reasons why they won't. And is that right? Probably not. But that's <laughs> – these guys are all rich for a reason. And it's because they uh, – he, you got to cut corners somewhere. You got to you got to play the bad guy at some point. And I think the Patriots are on the wrong side of that game. Yeah, yeah they they are. You're right. Good point. Uh, you know this thing has gone on way too long, and we have the hearing on August 12th, and then another one on August 19th, if necessary. Jeff, we know the judges uh, really told both sides, "Hey, if you still could come to an agreement, maybe before August 12th or 19th, uh, be my guest. In fact, I encourage you to do so." Now. I don't expect that to happen, and and I guess my question is, all right, you get that second settlement hearing on August 19th. I mean, I think we all assume that will be the end of it. It would be nice if that was the end of it, but I can't sit here and tell you, Jeff, that that's the end of it because it looks like, as you mentioned, both sides are pounding their chest. They're going to stand their ground, and I don't know that anybody's going to settle on anything. Uh, so how how do you envision this ending? Do you envision this ending before August 19th or on August 19th? before the season begins, or, or where do you think we go from here? Well, here I was being really naive that the Wells report was going to come out and vindicate Tom Brady and, and <laughs> uncover how ridiculous this whole thing got, and that was going to be the end of it. And then the Wells report comes out and takes this to, you know, new level upon new level upon new level and made the whole thing so much exponentially worse. So... I mean, yeah, August 19th looks like a, a great time to put this thing to bed. But, shoot, we've all been wrong so many times on when this thing was going to go away in the last seven months now that we're at. So I, I can't, in good faith, think that August 19th, 19th is going to make this thing go away. I mean, this thing could go on until <laughs> if they if they go, what if there, there's a wild card thing here? And, you know, they do both. They do push for that even though that's supposed to be off the table. I mean, there's there are so many weird things that could happen. Plus, look, I'm a sports writer. I can't cover courtrooms and, and law and stuff like that. We got Paul McGovern to do that a whole lot better than I could. So there's also a lot of stuff going on once it hits the federal courts that are it's way over my head, and there are options that I can't even conceive right now. So, yeah, it'd be grand if these guys could come together and work out some sort of settlement in the next couple of weeks, but... Why would Tom Brady do anything short of being a settlement that will freeze him up of any guilt or any wrongdoing? And why would the league do anything to admit that they had potentially acted wrongly Hmm. in any sort of fashion throughout this entire story? So those 
are two complete opposite ends of the spectrum, and I just don't see why either side would budge and get to middle ground at this point. Yeah, and the longer it goes on, the more interesting it will get with regards to on-the-field stuff and the Patriots, you know, being a, an actual football team because, you know, the first uh, here in August 12th, you know, that is what, the day of the walkthrough before the first preseason game? I mean, Brady didn't even play in the first preseason game last year, right? So how, how important is the, the, fir- the walkthrough before the first preseason game? He can miss that. He will miss that. It's the second one that I, I, I'm interested in. Uh, you know, I assume he's, he's going to be at the second one if they have the second one because he is really the main guy in the whole hearing. But at the same time, the team will be in West Virginia for joint practices with the Saints. And we always hear Bill Belichick talk about how important those joint practices are, almost more important than the actual preseason game itself. So do you expect Brady to be at the joint practices with his team or to be at the second hearing if they have it? Uh, well, yeah, the judge is ordering him to be at that oh, hearing. He is. So he'll be there. Yeah, that's uh, the NFLPA, uh, George Atala, came out and said the other day that you know this shouldn't even be a storyline because the judge has ordered Tom Brady and Roger Goodell to be present for these two hearings, so, that's, uh, <laughs> hey, so they're going to be there. Because we had the stories of breaking news. Tom Brady will be at the her- the first hearing. Roger Goodell will be at the hearing. So we didn't even need those stories. We already knew they had no. to be there. Yeah, those, but yeah that, that, that was going to happen all along as soon as the judge ordered it. I mean, then what? I, I assume that would mean they'd be in contempt of court or something along those lines uh, from a legal standpoint. Mm. So, yeah, they, they're both going to be there. And you mentioned the, the walkthrough before the first preseason game. I've seen preseason walkthroughs on the day before a game when guys have been in sandals. So that's how <laughs> serious these walkthroughs are at this point in the year. So that's no big deal at all. Uh, and then the 19th, my memory's a little foggy. The 19th day before that Saints, three days before the Saints game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it looks like he's going to have to miss a practice. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's kind of big, right? I mean, missing a, a joint practice. You know how you've heard Belichick rave about those things and uh training camp has begun so we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on how this all plays out and I'm not Jeff I'm not going to ask you what you think the suspension is going to be because again I don't think any of us really know how this is going to play out but I will ask you a, a football question here because I've heard a lot of people talk about Malcolm Butler and his confidence and how confident not only he looks but sounds talking to the media Do, is that something that's jumped out to you here during training camp, or, or do you have something else that you've seen that, that maybe others haven't? Or what's been the, the major storyline in your eyes, other than outside no, of the Butler, placate? Yeah, Butler's been good. Uh, there's a, a handful of, of big stories, I think, over the last week. But Butler has absolutely been good. Uh, he's stuck out. He's He can't cover Julian Edelman, but nobody can cover Julian Edelman. But when Malcolm Butler is on a handful of other guys, he's been terrific. Now, you want to see how this stuff translates if he is – Locked on another uh, on a number one receiver, or if he stays on one side and happens to take a handful of reps against the number one receiver on an opposing team, because covering Julian Edelman, you know, again, that's tough for anybody to do. Uh, covering Danny Amendola is is typically pretty tough, but from there, because uh, Brandon LaFell isn't practicing, you know, his next assignments are against guys like Aaron Dobson, who you know is probably going to make the team, and Josh Boyce, and and Brian Timms, and you know what he. Malcolm Butler should be able to cover those guys. And that's I'm not trying to take anything away from those other receivers, but that's pretty fair competition. So we'll see what happens when the competition level increases, when they face the Colts and the Cowboys and, and teams like that that have, you know, two, three really good 
wide receivers that these quarterbacks are going to have to cover. He's, I like the confidence. I like the fact that he challenges Edelman and Tom Brady. That's what you want to see from a cornerback, especially a guy who is being viewed as your best corner. And he's not going to be anywhere near. Comparing him to Darrell Revis, um, I know you didn't do it, but you mm-hmm. know anybody trying to compare Malcolm Butler to Darrell Revis or, or trying to just see what he brings in comparison to Darrell Revis, look, those guys are on a completely different planet. And the secondary is not going to be as, anywhere near as good as it was last year. Uh, but th- it's going to take an entire effort. You know, They're going to need to rely on that front seven to create a lot of paths rushing pressure in order to be successful. But Butler and Logan Ryan, who is a guy who has always stuck out to me, who has played his best football and given consistent reps, has looked good too. Uh, but Butler has been their best corner. He's gotten his hands on a handful of passes. I haven't updated my notes since last night, but going into last night's practice, he had more pass breakups than anybody on the team. So, again, it's, it's good. He's playing well. And let's be honest, Jeff. I mean, let's be serious. If if the Flakegate was nothing, if it didn't exist, the major storyline would be the fact that this Patriots secondary is just brand new. Obviously, Malcolm Butler's there, but you get rid of Revis, you get rid of Brownie, you get rid of Arrington, right? Uh, either a couple, a couple other guys you get rid of. I mean, this would be the top story, the Patriots secondary. And, and the question, you know, can they... Can they be good enough, because they won't be what last year's secondary was, but can they be good enough to at least give this team a shot? That would be the main story, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a question we really can't answer until you know the bullets are live in, in September. And I, I think they are capable of, of being a competitive secondary. And you want to see Devin McCourty have the best year of his career. You want to really see him step up and take charge and be a guy who can start forcing more turnovers. And I know that's something that he's worked at for a couple of years now. So we'll see if he's able to take those steps forward. And, again, last year, their their front seven leans, and, you know, Dante Hattar and Jamie Collins had fantastic years, but their front seven leaned a lot on the back four, back five, depending on the situation. And this year it's going to be the opposite. Those the guys in the secondary are going to lean on the front to create a lot more pressure. And I really liked the way that Bill Belichick went out and tacked the offseason in terms of bringing in Jabal Sheard, who looks fantastic, and drafting Malcolm Brown and Geno Grissom and Trey Flowers, making sure that Gerard Mayo stuck around and restructured that contract. So there's a lot of talent in the front seven, and we'll see if Chandler Jones is able to be that guy who can be their number one pass rusher which he has been when healthy, when right, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been healthy for a full season in his entire career, three years now. So he has to take a step forward. Dominic Easley is a guy who has opened up a lot of eyes during practice, or he did open up a lot of eyes during spurts in practice during his rookie year. He's been stuck on the second team so far in the last handful of practices since debuting Saturday. You want to see him make that jump. Uh, Malcolm Brown has been okay in the first week. I want to see him play better. So if those guys can all start playing better, I think this front seven could be really, really good. But they still have – it's a good thing they have another month to keep getting it back in order. All right, Jeff. Yeah, can't wait for some actual football games. Uh, He is Jeff Howell, Boston Herald. Uh, Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Jeff. uh, Thanks a lot. Great job as always. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, thanks, Danny. Have a good one. All right, great stuff right there from Jeff Howell, Boston Herald. 
Uh, we talked to Flakeade again. I know it's something he probably doesn't want to talk about anymore. It's something that I don't want to talk about anymore, but we have to until this thing gets settled uh, because it will be a story, and it's like every single day there's a new piece, uh, a new part of this thing. And as I mentioned, the top story on ESPN.com this morning is Brady predicts Peyton's end will stamp the rivalry. Of course, uh, Tom Brady, in private conversations in an email, talked about how Peyton Manning only had a couple of years left, and Brady in the email says he thinks he has seven or eight years left. Says game on, right? So, uh, look, we shouldn't be reading that in the first place, and because we actually, because it was even an option to release those things, and we got to that point, Roger Goodell needs to go. But I will move on for today, here five days a week, DannyPicard.com, also on iTunes and really anywhere that you can get a podcast. Uh, the Red Sox last night, they beat the Yankees 2-1. As I mentioned, David Ortiz's solo home run to lead off the top of the fourth. He jumped all over a 96-mile-per-hour fastball, middle in on a 2-0 count. Uh, that was an absolute bomb. But I will say this, Luis Severino, he was nasty last night. He ended up, fin- he let that home run up, okay? Red Sox take a 2 nothing lead. Talk about a 21-year-old kid turning the inning around. He get, you know, Ortiz smashes one off him. It does not smash his confidence because Severino finished the fourth inning. He struck out Hanley Ramirez. He got another out, and then he struck out Napoli. He struck out both Hanley Ramirez and Napoli, two right-handed hitters, which is a nasty, uh, and, and Severino, by the way, is a right-handed pitcher. Severino, a nasty slider down and away to right-handed hitters at about anywhere from 89 to 91 miles an hour. And, and they, I read a couple things on him. He throws two different types of sliders. One has a harder cut than the other. But, look, he throws it hard. It's deceiving to right-handed hitters. It comes in looking like a fastball, and all of a sudden, down and away, and you're just waving at it. He got Hanley to strike out swinging on that pitch, and also Napoli to finish off that fourth inning, which... It started with a David Ortiz bomb on a 2-0 count, right? Just rocked the 96, sitting dead red on a 96-mile-per-hour fastball. Ortiz was able to put it in the seats. Sox took a 2 nothing lead, but Severino, I thought, was great in this one. Severino finishes the game five innings, allowed only two hits, two runs. Um, only one of the runs earned, by the way, because the first run that he Severino allowed, it was... Thanks to a, a, with two outs, a throwing error at third base uh, by Chase Headley in the second inning. And it gave the Red Sox an extra out. All of a sudden, Alejandro Diazza with an RBI double to deep right field. Severino responded by striking out Blake Swihart with a very hard changeup to end that inning. Gets out of that. Uh, but Severino, two runs, only one earned. He struck out seven, 94 pitches. I tell you what. This kid has some nasty stuff. Not just the slider that I told you about, not just the hard changeup that I told you about, but he's got an overpowering fastball at 96, 97, sometimes thrown it at 95. And it's that type of overpowering stuff that you can have in your back pocket. Not even just in your back pocket. I mean, you feature that thing, right? Why not? When you throw that hard, you feature that pitch. And you use your off speed as secondary stuff. But um, I tell you what. The last couple nights, we've talked about prospect pitches in the Red Sox organization. Brian Johnson, all right, he's a little banged up right now. Uh, but we saw him make his major league debut. We talked a lot about Brian Johnson for a, lot, for a long time. He had success in the minor leagues. 
I did not go down there in the minors and watch him pitch, so I'm waiting to see what he can look like at the major league level. When he made his major league debut, Brian Johnson, lefty, we heard about the curveball, nasty curveball. And, you know, he, he faced the Houston Astros. I thought his outing was decent. At times, you know, he struck out the side in order. And I think it was the third inning of that game. Brian Johnson with a nasty curveball, nasty breaking ball. We heard about that. But I was disappointed in Brian Johnson's fastball. I was. I was disappointed in his fastball. Um, because it was 89, 90, I think it topped out at 91, I believe. It just wasn't overpowering. And then the same thing with Henry Owens the other night. You know, uh, he, he's got some good, he's got a nasty changeup, Henry Owens, at about 80 miles an hour. And it works. And it is nasty because his fastball is 91, 92 maybe. But it's, it's still not an overpowering fastball. It's not 95, 96, 97 like a kid like Severino is. So all this talk about Owens and Johnson, to me, you know, they get good secondary stuff. They get good off-speed stuff. But they don't have that overpowering fastball that, to me, in this day and age in Major League Baseball, you need to be an absolute stud. That's why I look at Eduardo Rodriguez to be sort of in a diff- at a different level. And, and I think that's why Eduardo Rodriguez came up right away and dazzled in his first outing because he featured this 95, 96-mile-per-hour fastball. He had a hard changeup at 90, and he had, a, he had a nice little cutter or a slider, whatever you want to call it. But it's really the, the fastball, right, in the mid-90s. You throw in the mid-90s, you're, you're going to have success in this league, or at least you should. I know we look at Joe Kelly and say, I guess nothing's guaranteed in this world when you can throw that hard. But I think Joe Kelly is, is the exception to the rule. I'd like to think that if I could throw 98, I would not be sitting there talking to you on a microphone inside of Beantown Athletics in Dorchester. I wouldn't. I'd be in Major League Baseball. I'd like to think if I threw that hard, right? Joe Kelly's in Major League Baseball, uh, but he is not having the success that he probably should. In fact, I'm shocked that he's this bad with that type of stuff. But I think he's an exception to the rule. You know, if you could ask a major league pitcher, would they rather throw in the mid to upper 90s or, or throw 90-91, they'll take the mid to upper 90s any day of the week. There's a lot of pitchers in the minor leagues that would take the stuff that Joe Kelly has and they'd be able to turn it into something magical. For some reason, Joe Kelly can't. I don't know why, but he can't. Uh, but I look at Severino last night and I'm thinking to myself, this is what we're going to have to face for a long time. And he's only going to get better. And it's kind of a scary thought. I won't lie to you. It was kind of a scary thought. Severino's nasty. And uh, if you're asking me, out of all the prospects that we've seen the last month or so, or or three, four weeks, in these two organizations, between Severino, Brian Johnson, Henry Owens, it's a no-brainer. I'd take Severino over those guys. And, you know, Severino, top 20, Baseball America, midseason prospects, out of any position in baseball, Okay, so we know, you know, the Yankees, there's a reason. Now we know there's a reason why they wouldn't give this kid up in a trade. Based on the way he pitched against the Red Sox last night, you got to keep him up. You got to keep him up. I know it was five innings. It was a loss, but don't look at the loss. And don't look at the home run. Look at how he recovered from that home run in that inning, right? Look at how he recovered from the error in the second inning in the run. He was nasty. And I know Red Sox fans don't want to sit here listening to how nasty he is, but I'm just being realistic and I'm being honest with you. That scared me last night watching him pitch. 
kind of thinking to myself, he's 21 years old, and this is the type of pitcher that I wish the Red Sox are bringing up from the minors, showcasing that type of fastball. Owens doesn't have it. Brian Johnson doesn't have it. Now, to be fair, Eduardo Rodriguez does have it. And, yes, the Red Sox traded for him last year, and he was in the minors a little bit this year, and they brought him up. And Eduardo Rodriguez, for the most part, has given us at least uh, signs of the success that I think he will have because of the fastball and the overpowering stuff that he does provide when he needs it. It's, it, it's something that I'm disappointed in when I watch Johnson or Owens, and it leads me to think those guys aren't untouchable. They are not untouchable this offseason, Owens and Johnson. I know you might not want to move both of them, but if a team said we want one of those two guys that would get me a, a, an already proven dominant starting pitcher in Major League Baseball to help win the next couple years, yeah, I would give one of those two guys up, Johnson or Owens. I would. Of course, anytime you say that, I need to know who the guy is you're getting in return. But I got to apologize. I knocked the Yankees for not giving up Severino. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know he had that type of stuff. He was good. And as a Red Sox fan, I'm not going to lie, a little nervous thinking about maybe the future and having to face him all the time, at least for the next, I don't know, next 10 years, right? So we'll keep an eye on that. But, uh... That's what happened last night in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. And, um, you know, I wish the Red Sox were in a playoff race. And I told you the last couple days in this podcast, I would pay money to get the Red Sox relevant in August and September and October again and to completely eliminate the the Deflategate storyline altogether. I'd legit pay money for it. But, uh, unfortunately, my money is no good here. And, I, I sadly, I, I probably don't have enough money to make something like that happen anyways, even if it was an option. So we'll move on, uh, close out the show with a story that I'm, I'm sure in the next couple hours, days, will be picking up more steam. And that's Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks uh, in his Stanley Cup celebration here this summer. He is currently the subject of a criminal investigation. The NHL says it is aware some people are tweeting out that this is a they a, this is a rape investigation. That's what some people are tweeting. Um, we'll see where this goes. I, I I don't know, but a lot of the reports I'm reading, there's not much information other than other than there is a criminal investigation, a police investigation into the off-season home of Patrick Kane and Patrick Kane himself. So we'll keep an eye on it. I'm not going to sit here and jump to conclusions, uh, especially if the allegations are as serious as the ones I just mentioned as to what some people are tweeting, but I'm sure more will come out about the Patrick Kane situation, and I certainly will be keeping my eye on that. I am here five days a week, dannypicard.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere you can get a podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, all forms of social media. Once again, today's show presented by Violent Gentlemen. Go to violentgentlemen.com right now to order some of the hottest T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene from the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field. Violent Gentlemen on the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport. Violentgentlemen.com. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.